Everyone, I'm your host, David Garbett, and you are watching O2 and You. I'm very excited for our next guest, Joel Briscoe, who I'm going to bring into the discussion now. This is the second half of our conversation today about air quality. Um, Representative Briscoe, welcome to O2 and You. Happy, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays. Thank you. Same to you. It's uh, it's great to have you on here. Uh, and just again, for those of you who may be joining us, this is O2NU. I'm your host, David Garbett, the Executive Director of O2 Utah. Our guest today, Joel Briscoe, is a state legislator. He's a member of the Utah House of Representatives from House District 25, which covers the, the southeast central part of Salt Lake City. And he's joining us um, from his best of home with his Christmas beard. Representative Briscoe, great having you oh, here. Ho, ho, ho. <laughs> I keep lists. <laughs> so, or, or, people, or people send me lists. <laughs> we were just speaking with Isabella Arrigo, who was the lead author of this uh, significant study about the impact of air pollution. Uh, here in Utah, both economically and in terms of human uh, mortality. You have been a member of the legislature since 2010, if I remember correctly. 2010. And one of the stalwarts when it comes to air quality, you've been at this um, from the beginning. You know, some pretty sobering stuff that we heard from her. So we'd like to talk to you about what can we do? How can we make a difference in some of the ideas that uh, you're pursuing uh, for this com upcoming legislative session? But maybe to start with, help those of us who aren't as well versed in maybe what has been attempted in the legislature or even how the legislature works to understand, you know, why is it every winter when the inversion rolls around, a lot of people are frustrated, continues to be a top issue here in the state but people feel like they're not seeing um, major changes in that issue. Well, I think you asked about 29 questions. You did not, but, <laughs> but, but it, it's, a, it's a good set of questions and I think I can give some good information. I think it was seven or eight years ago, I was sitting on my right-hand side, Representative Chavez Houck on my left, Patrice Aaron, Representative Patrice Aaron, who will be sorely missed this year. And Representative Aaron said, you know, we should form a Clean Air Caucus. And it should be bipartisan. And we should, the three of us should be the Democratic members and we should go find three Republicans. And we formed a bipartisan Clean Air Caucus. So um, we've accomplished some good stuff. Um, we've got money for research on projects that wouldn't normally, we know what, it, what at various times of day in various places of the valley, various pollutants look like because we got some funding to put some air quality monitors on top of tracks trains. Now we're talking about putting some more air quality monitors on the top of three electric vehicle buses. Um, it's gonna cost some money. It's gonna cost, it's gonna take some changes in behavior and those are difficult. And why don't we, we have had some experiments with um, paying for free fares. I, I've had discussions recent days about how, whether we ramp up 
our pilot program for three thirds this year, given that ridership is down significantly. And some people may not want to ride on um, front runner tracks, UTA buses. I think we should still try to use it this year, even if ridership is down, because I think we should be consistent. And I think when the public sees bad air, I think we should communicate to them, look, we stayed home for two months and we went outside and went, oh my gosh, look at what we missed. And now I think asking people to do it for two or three days at the middle to the end of an inversion, I think we ought to ask them to do it. Sometimes I don't mm -hmm. think, my motto is people can't say yes if you don't ask. And sometimes I think we're afraid to ask. Mm. So um, one year, the governor, three, two years ago, three years ago, the governor, we, we had like a, just a great budget year. And he asked for $100 million worth of appropriations, mostly for a lot of one-time asks. But when you rebuild a, a, a locomotive to burn less diesel fuel, uh, and it costs a lot of money to rebuild it, and then you have a much cleaner locomotive. So one-time money is a decent expenditure. I think we spent $25 million and he asked for a hundred, but in what given year have we ever spent $25 million? So the reason there's a cleaner caucus is because the public was pushing on us and some of us responded. And we're gonna respond in the future when the public continues to push on us. And you keep voting for people like Representative Briscoe and, and other representatives who support clean air legislation uh, you've got Senator-elect, uh, Senator Wilson up in Cache County, who's, um, you know, used renewable energy in his business, and there are others. So there are a lot of us. Um, I'm pushing, uh, I'm sponsoring along with Republican Senator Jake Andreg, the Utah Clean Energy Fund. I was on a, I spoke with Senator Romney's office and some others today. Um, I sent, we, we know that President Biden is interested in um, cleaner energy and promoting clean jobs and less use of fossil fuels. We're pretty sure that there's some money could come here and we would like to have a Utah Clean Energy Fund set up so that if there's billions of dollars set aside in a fund in Washington, DC, some millions of dollars can come to Utah and we could use it to start um, promoting energy efficiency, uh, promoting EV use, promoting um, uh, more use of renewable energy, uh, reduction of greenhouse gas emissions, and using a public-private partnership and market forces to make it happen. Uh, there's a clean energy fund in Nevada and a clean energy fund in Colorado that are two or three or four years old. There are older uh, green banks in California, Connecticut, um, New York. In New York, they've done over a billion dollars. They've done a lot of work. In Michigan, they've done $200 million worth of investing in clean energy and energy efficiency in 10 years. And we might be a little late to the game, but that doesn't mean we can't get in it. Tell us a little bit more about that because I think clean energy fund, it's easy to, to hear that. And, um, you know, with any fund, it maybe isn't the most attention grabbing uh, no title for a bill, no, but no. I think you've taken some really interesting concepts in this and you've been working on this for a while. Things are kind of lining up, but it, it, it's it a manifest. Be, it may not be as sexy. It, <laughs> it may not be as sexy, but um, uh, talking when I've spoken to people in Colorado and back east and in Michigan, uh, there's a lot of stuff that could happen if there was a source where people could get funding. 
I mean, when I put my solar panels on my roof two, two years ago, three, almost three years ago, I, I had to borrow money. I, I had to pay an upfront cost. I got a significant amount back in taxes in year one. And I cut by $50 a month my electric bill to my payments to Rocky Mountain Power. But I had to put in some money up front, and that was just for a, a fairly small house. But if I were building a medium-sized business or a multifamily housing unit or an apartment complex, what would it cost for me to borrow the money necessary to up front to put more solar panels or to put in better insulated windows or to build a tighter envelope and more insulation in the walls? Or when I wire up my garage in the basement to wire it up so that it'd be a, an easy conversion to all electric vehicles. It's gonna cost money and some banks may not be used to making those loans. Uh, if you go to the, speaking to people, the New York Green Bank, they say the typical business and loan is five to 10 years. They're giving 20 year loans, mm -hmm. recognizing that um, people have a longer time period to pay back and they need some money up front to help finance the cost. And then we're gonna help more people um, we're going to also specifically focus 20% of this fund on impacted communities. And what's an impacted community? You might be impacted because you live in central Utah and the conversion of IPP from coal power to natural gas hydrogen power means I, you know, my husband or my wife lost their job. It might be because you live on the west side of Salt Lake County and you live close to the freeway and you and, and a lot of the energy and a lot there's a lot of pollution by the freeway, or you might live next to a, a, a an energy producing facility, and there's more and the air is dirtier around you. Um, you might be impacted for a number of various reasons. We're setting aside a portion of the fund that's dedicated to that and to making sure that impacted Utahns get some love from this fund for projects that will help create clean jobs and clean energy in the future and cleaner buildings. I mean, I think it's a really exciting concept because the one thing you talked about is that so often a transition to something that's more efficient or cleaner saves money in the long run, saves people a lot of money, but it's that upfront cash, right? That becomes the the big thing that holds that holds us back, and you're you're offering that up here. And similarly, you know, we you talked about coal. Um, we all know we need to get away from it, um, but as you said, no one's looking to leave people behind in that transition. And if there are ways to help ease that, uh, I think we can all agree that's a that's a good thing. Um, so I feel like you've you've essentially packaged something where the the rubber meets the road that is almost like a manifestation of the Green New Deal. Can I say that or will that is, well, is that trouble? Maybe we would call it uh, <laughs> olive Green New Deal, a sage Green New Deal. Ah, okay, yeah. It's it's a, it's a, it's not like the money would go out and then we would go, oh, that was fun. We helped some projects. It's kind of like a revolving loan. People would pay loans back. Which, and, and they pay back at uh, some interest rate that wouldn't be exorbitant. And maybe we would help them pay down interest rates, but money would come back. This is using capitalism to go green. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and as that fund grows, there would be more projects capable of being done in the future. 
so that this would become a permanent establishment inside Utah. If you go to the Michigan Saves website, they have a picture of a contractor on, on their front webpage and they get a lot of business. Their director told me because some contractors out to do some work on a home and they go, well, if you looked into Michigan Saves, because you could get a loan up front and you and look, I could put this into your house and I could put in an on-demand water heater and, and look, I could save you money on this and, and they'll lend you the money at a great rate and let's make your house more energy efficient. Hmm. Um, and, and so they, they, they said that some of their best business are contractors and HVAC people and solar panel sellers and people who do things to help homes get more efficient. But, you know, uh, the bill will be, you know, the bill is, is going to be public soon and it's been shared around with some people. We talked to uh, Senator Romney's office today about urging him to, you know, look for the federal legislation coming. Um, you know, he's shown that he's a person who can work across the aisle and, and work on common sense solutions to help Utahns and other Americans. We think this is one of those common sense solutions. Do you have a target amount of money that you think that fund needs to, to well, be successful? Well, we you know, we're trying to reach out to the governor-elects. Uh, they're very busy. They're trying to staff. They're like, you know, President-elect Biden right now. It's like, not only does everyone want to talk to you, but you've got to fill out all the jobs. It's a massive HR mm -hmm. process. But we definitely want a few hundred thousand dollars to hire two or three staff members to start. And then mm -hmm. that a bunch of money happens in Congress this year uh, mm -hmm. that they can help seed institutions like this across the entire United States. And we want good, clean jobs in Utah. So most people, most people don't know that Utah is in the top 10 states in the country for number of jobs in the solar industry. And the Congressional District 3, Senate Representative Curtis District is number five in the country. Hmm. Like 7,000, and this was a year ago, it may not be the same today because we might've lost some, but a year ago there were 7,000 solar jobs in the third congressional district in Utah, and there were only four congressional districts with more. Wow. That's so, impressive. You know, we, we're going to go talk to Representative Curtis about why you know, he needs to help get that passed in Washington, D.C. Yeah, interesting. So a little bit of money here in the state to manage the program, put this thing together. Any idea on this sort of funding federally? To make this well, successful. The, the bill passed by Congress in J June was $20 billion. They're, they're talking, they would take $100 billion if they could. Uh, I know that the Biden administration is talking about a $2 trillion stimulus. So that would, $100 billion, a $2 trillion would be 5% of that. Uh, he may not get all that, but as Briscoe says, you, they, they can't say yes if you don't ask. I mean, <laughs> Uh, if you just hope, uh, hope is nice and it can, it can be a salvation at times, but you have to put hope into action and you have to have a plan and they're putting together a plan and we're putting together, Senator Andreg and I are putting together a plan for a clean energy investment fund in Utah so that people who want to make a little bit of money by helping along and the federal government and maybe one day the state might feel it was a wise investment. But in the meantime, we're using... Um, investment principles or market principles to help green up Utah a little bit. Yeah. Uh, really interesting. Keep an eye out for that. Um, excited for the introduction of that legislation coming up in this session. Um, one 
question I had for you is, you know, in this next segment, I actually, this is a conversation I had with uh, Natalie Gochner, uh, who is the, a bit of a, a Utah sage, uh, seen by many people as, as a very level head and, and good analysis on uh, policy in Utah generally. One of her uh, opinions that she offered to me was that Utah has not um, done a good job of identifying essentially a target to get to with air quality. And I think this is building on some work that her, uh, her institute at the U, Kim Gardner Policy Institute did with the Utah roadmap where because of some funding from the legislature laid out an idea about objectives and said essentially that Utah should aspire to get to cleaner air and Utah should aspire to reduce emissions uh, by emissions of pollutants by 50% by a specific targeted date and carbon emissions as well and had 50% reductions in carbon emissions by 2030, for example. Um, and, you know, building on that was this Utah Climate and Clean Energy Compact where members of the legislature and community came forward and said, we agree, we like these aspirations. We think that these are things that we should be done. We think this is vital, not only for people's health, but for our economy. Um, I don't know that we've seen in the legislature something that matches that those aspirations or those targets. Why well, is that? Three, three years ago, I ran for, I've run two or three bills to tax pollution, to tax polluters, to put a, ta a price on carbon to tax the, the burning of coal, to tax the burning of natural gas, uh, coal, natural gas, and oil, and to burn oil, or the production or processing of oil, and, and when it's done in a way that produces emissions. I got a hearing in front of it, in front of a committee. Uh, there was an appropriation two years ago by the legislature to the Gardner Institute that, that Natalie Gochner works for. They um, spent a summer and a fall and produce uh, uh, eight mile posts for the legislature to consider. Um, some of them are quite popular, like build out our electric vehicle infrastructure. That's really popular. What's frustrating to me is that um, Rocky Mountain Power is going to spend $50 million of ratepayer money and put together along, uh, along much of Utah, but there's parts of rural Utah that Rocky Mountain Power doesn't provide service to, so that people who buy electric vehicles will feel that, will have confidence that they can drive up and down the state in various places and will have a place to pull over and, and charge. But uh, Representative Harrison had a bill which would have given a prop, uh, sales tax uh, rebate uh, to someone buying a used elect or a new electric vehicle that costs less than $50,000 a year. And that didn't get a hearing. So I maybe some people are assuming that if you build electric vehicle charging stations, electric vehicles will come. But what I've read suggests that's not the case. What I We're around 2% of all the registered, maybe a little under 2% of all the registered vehicles in Utah are electric vehicles, on-road vehicles. Um, states that have more than 2% have provided incentives to people to purchase electric vehicles. Uh, they didn't just expect people to do it. 
Um, more and more companies are building them. Uh, Companies like Volvo and, and others are saying within a few years, we're not going to make any internal combustion engines, diesel or gasoline, but they are not all here yet. There's not a lot as many on the lot as we would like or think there will be in two, three, four, five years. They're expensive. Their prices are coming down, um, but we're not incentivizing anyone to get them. So I'm, I am pleased. Uh, the group that the Gardner Institute put together said, you know, we ought to have goals and they suggested goals. They suggested by 2050 that Utah reduce greenhouse gas emissions by 80% and reduce our criteria air pollutants to create uh, our problems with the Utah Clean Air Act by 50%. Um, Representative Handy is running a resolution this year to do just that. To, it's a resolution, so, but it says we, the legislature and the governor of the state of Utah are saying that our goals for the state of Utah are, we will reduce our greenhouse gas emissions in Utah by 2050 by 80%. And we will reduce our criteria air pollutants by 50% by 2050. So I am really, really happy to see that someone's coming forward with a concrete target and a date. Here's one of the problems, David, you can say we're going to do that in 2050, that's 30 years from now, and then we can do the Rip Van Winkle and we can do a bunch of little things and pretty soon it's 2030 and it's like, oh, we're 20 years away. Are we going to make it? So, you know, there's other proposals out there. I mean, I'll give you, I'll give you a proposal. A proposal would be to create a new state agency called the Department of Clean Air and fund it with charging people in Utah for polluting, for polluting and giving them incentives for driving cleaner cars, cleaner trucks. Mm. If they have businesses um, making their businesses cleaner, the more they pollute, the more they pay, the less they pollute, the less they pay. And this would apply to very large, large operations like Kennecott or oil refineries. It would apply to businesses. It would apply to residential homes. It would apply to on-road vehicles that we drive on the freeways and highways and streets, and it would apply to off-road vehicles um, that do construction on heavy-duty work. And the, and the rates that they would pay would go into the, the Department of Clean Air. Uh, it would also apply out of the Inland Port. Uh, we would provide an incentive for businesses who are located or want to locate in the Inland Port that they would have to offset of their emissions. They would have to account for their emissions and they could offset them by getting cleaner themselves or for investing in something cleaner somewhere else at a rate greater than they emit themselves. And with the money generated by people paying for their pollution, the clean air department would have a clean air fund. They would set aside an amount of money for just operating their fund operating the clean air department and then spend money on a clean the air fund and on an asthma fund. Hmm. And the asthma fund would be a medical fund, which would pay for the emergency um, people who'd have to take their children and their spouses and their grand their moms and dads who can't breathe to the emergency room, pay for all the healthcare problems that are not being paid for now by pollution. And, and we would maybe start by saying 50% by 2030. 
we're going to get there in 10 years or, and we're going to, and we're going to do the best job we can to get there. And we're going to get there by a, by giving you a financial incentive to get cleaner. I, that's, I love it. Um. <laughs> I'm kind of waiting to see how serious a legislature wants to be about representative Handy's resolution. Mm. And I think that's a good faith. I think talking about from 30 years from now, can we, we've got states all around us saying they're going to be at 80%, 100%. Our goal now, our renewable portfolio energy standard is 20% by 2025 and is voluntary. So do we want to be the 20%, 25% state when other states are committing to 100? Iowa gets 40% of their electricity from wind. Yeah. We can get 40% of our electricity from solar. We just don't, we just have to have the will and the, and the desire to plan to do it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, so many questions for you on this, and this is really interesting. I, I, does that context of what you talked about, a 50% reduction by 2030, I mean, not diving into the trajectory that we're on, does that, do you think that sounds like an intimidating number to legislators? Because I've seen that division of air quality here in the state right now, their goal is to see if they can't reduce emissions by 26%, roughly by 2025. So, uh, you know, while a 50% reduction is ambitious, it doesn't feel to me like it's that far out of line on on what is we're capable of doing right now without a lot of um, kind of more intensive guidance from the legislature. This this might be the worst analogy in the world, and everyone can just <laughs> blow me up on it. But this is always a good disclaimer for an analogy. So, yeah, yeah. So Briscoe's really going to go off on this one. So walk me on the plank and put me under the shark and get your recorders going. But I would ask everyone to compare the sacrifices they've been asked to make the last nine months with the sacrifices you've been asked to make the last five years for air quality. Have you had to make any sacrifices for air quality? Has anybody asked you to do anything that's in any way difficult? I don't, I don't think so. Yeah, I think the most we've asked people to do is turn their car off if they're idling for more than 10 seconds. You know, I, I don't, I think we, I mean, the governor's done a good job of, of working with oil refineries to ask them to do tier three fuels. We don't provide an awful lot of incentives to help people get there. We don't provide an awful lot. We don't provide any incentives to people who pollute to pollute less. Um, if they think we can get to 25 or 26% by just doing a lot of incremental changes now, what if we put our mind to it? We could double that easy. We, if we put our mind to it and said, you know, we're going to get there, we're committed to having air that looks more like what it looked like last April and May when we went outside and went, oh my gosh, that's incredible. This is stunning. Yeah. Utah is a stunningly, right now we get it for a couple of days after a storm, after the rain, after the wind comes in and the snow, and we go out and you can see two mountain ranges past Great Salt Lake. Mm -hmm. You can, it, the air is so crystalline, clear and beautiful. It is just, it's spiritually beautiful. And, and I think Utahns want to get there, but I think we, no one has show, held that up in front of them and said, are you willing to make sacrifices to get there? And I think we need to ask people, and I think many more people are willing to get there than, than we know.
Yeah, I think I would even frame what you've described less in terms of sacrifice, but are you willing to join in a plan to get to clean air? I think that's a better frame. Willing to team up with us to get there. And that's what, not what, what we've asked. I, I like the world. I like the World War II frame. Are you willing to grow? Are you willing to grow a victory garden in your front yard to turn out some of your grass and grow some vegetables so that we can take the crops in the field and send them to the boys and the women fighting overseas? Are you willing to um, pay a little bit more for electricity and, and get some breaks somewhere else along the way in order to put a price signal on um, companies to move to cleaner technology? Are you willing to pay a little bit more in sales tax to get a little bit, to do more investment in uh, fixed rail and other mass transit options so that we have, are you willing to stay at home when the air is bad and work from home for a week to reduce the number of red air days? Are you willing to join as a community committed to clean air? Are you willing to join the clean air committed community? No. You know, I'm going to take this back to your, the Briscoe saying, you know, people can't say yes if you don't ask. And I really listening to you, I don't know that we've asked people and they've indicated in studies, in polling, actually even surprising to me, large majorities of people have said specifically, I will pay more. I will do things to clean the air. But, you know, I don't think we've asked. Like you said, I don't think we've asked I don't, to, I to don't team up. Think, I don't think we've asked things that move the needle as much as it needs to be moved. Yeah. And ask for people to reach for the higher good of cleaner air. We want, um, I, I think we need to appeal to the better angels of human nature. Hmm. As Abraham Lincoln and others so aptly put it. Well, Representative, we, uh, I'm excited about these concepts you've talked about. Be working with you to see if we can develop that into some specific uh, legislation, specific proposals and Want to thank you for coming on tonight, talking to us, and and really, you know, thank you for ten years of service, slugging it out day in day out in the in the trenches for air quality. Uh, it, you have been there for a long time, and you're doing you're doing the Lord's work, Representative. Uh, my wife has asthma. I call her my canary in the coal mine. Mm. The air looks bad, and she tells me it's like a five pound weight on her chest. Mm. And and there are many thousands and thousands of people in Utah who have who suffer from the same. I just want to give a shout out to David and O2 and the great work you did in um, this year and look forward to next year and the year after and years to come. Um, there are a lot of people working on this issue, a lot of people on oars on the ship. And and if more people on the oars, we can pull through the water faster. Awesome. Representative, thank you so much. Uh, if people want to learn more about and, and keep track of you and your legislation, what's the best way to do that? Just look you up on the socials. Yeah, yeah, you can uh, you can go to uh, votebriscoe.com website um, at rep briscoe. I mean, at that place, you can find my Twitter handle, um, Joel for twenty five at gmail.com, uh, jbriscoe at le.utah.gov. You know, it's go to votebriscoe.com on the website. And I think all the social media links are there. Okay. And likewise for us, if you'd like to hear what we're up to, 
uh, things that we're flagging, check us out on the socials, O2Utah, or our website, O2Utah.org. So until next time, thank you for tuning in to O2 and you, and thank you to our guest, Representative Briscoe. Goodbye, everybody. Take care. Bye-bye.